Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is a Friday in Florida. Drive time on the road. Final day. We are on the beach today in Florida on the Gulf at the Margaritaville Resort, Fort Myers Beach. It's so great to be with you, Jason DeRussia, along with Dan Cook. Uh, it doesn't get much better than this, Dan. This is gorgeous. I mean, I don't know how anybody could complain. I'm sure folks back up north are wishing they were down here with us. We wish they were here, too. It's a beautiful, beautiful resort. Not all of the people. Beautiful I don't setting. want all of the people for uh, I mean, we're literally staring right out at the Gulf of Mexico here. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to beat. It's really good. Really good. And coming up in about uh, 20 minutes or a half hour, we're going to introduce you to a couple of uh, hotel sort of uh, big-time developers and the people behind this hotel. Uh, one of them grew up in Wilmer. So pretty interesting, a Minnesota company, which has a bunch of hotels all throughout the Twin Cities and the suburbs, uh, they are leading the charge to sort of the revitalization of this part of Florida. Uh, so many Minnesotans come down here, but it's Minnesotans who are actually building this Margaritaville Resort and another one uh, coming to the Naples area. So pretty cool stuff. So we'll get their story at about 3.30. I want to begin the show by talking about something that is a very controversial issue. And it's the idea of whether or not you want to require your firefighters, your police officers to live in your community. It's something... Uh, that, generally speaking, I've been against. I don't think it's a good idea to make people live in the city they serve, frankly, because we have a hard enough time recruiting firefighters and recruiting police officers and making them live in your city, I think, is, is well, it's a loser. It's a loser of an idea. But a story in the Minnesota Reformer today, uh, this week, I should say, revealed that 13 of St. Paul Fire Department kind of managers, chiefs, some of the fire chiefs, have take-home cars, unlimited gas, and some of them are spending 500 bucks a month on gassing up because they live so darn far from St. Paul. I think for our big cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, if they are giving a perk like this, a take-home vehicle, I think it's absolutely reasonable to, at the very least, require them to live within 20 miles of the heart of their city. And if the, if the manager doesn't want to do that, they shouldn't get a car. I think this is outrageous. Uh, and, and I'd love to know what you think. 651-461-9226. 651-461-9226. Do you think we should require our firefighters and police officers, at least of, a, of the top-tier level, to live in the city? I know, Dan, there are some, and you grew up in a law enforcement family. I, I know, did. 
I know there are some who think, you know, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, you should require certainly firefighters, uh, police officers to live in the city. And I, I'm not willing to go that far. And I think you'd lose, you'd lose so many people. You'd never be able to do it. I mean, the argument, there is an argument to be made, though, especially in cities where uh, the interactions between police and fire and the community is so important. Right. Places like Minneapolis, places like St. Paul, uh, that the more time that those officers and those firefighters are spending in the city, the better able they're going to be to relate to those community members. I get that. Yeah, that so theory I, makes perfect right, sense. Right, exactly. Theory is the key word there. Right. It makes sense in theory. Practically, pragmatically, maybe not so much. But I think you know, you're know you on to something there when you start talking about a, a maximum radius. You say, okay, we're not going to require you necessarily to live within the city limits, but you can't be 40, 50 miles away. You can't be on the other end of town, on the other end of the metro, and be working here. It just it doesn't make practical sense. It doesn't make financial sense. Um, I, think there's, I think there's a limit you can set reasonably. I mean, there, to me, there are a couple things at play. First, there's a practicality. I mean, the other thing is the St. Paul Fire Department has 13 chief-level people. I mean, this is a trend, act, you know, and I'm sidetracking myself a little bit, but this is a trend you see throughout all levels of government, sort of the, the stacking of the upper management ranks. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that that gets us where we want to be. Do we need 13 chiefs? In the in the St. Paul Fire Department, you got the assistant chief of operations is the one who uses the most gas. And this is a very good re- uh, report in the reformer. The assistant chief. Uh, and, and, and to be clear, like when you hear take home car, you think it's like some kind of fancy car. That's not always the case. Some of these cars are a, there's like one gets a 2016 Chevy Tahoe. The other is a 2021 Suburban. So it's not like they're, you know... Well, they're not super fancy, but they but are... Five, they're, they're gas large, guzzlers. And gas guzzlers is exactly what I was going to point out. 500 bucks a month per gas because the assistant chief lives in Lindstrom, which is 40 minutes away. If you live 40 minutes away, no car for you. I just think it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And this, you know, individually is this a lot of money. Uh, you know, no. In the large scheme of things, no, but it is a bad look for the city. You're looking at $41,000 spent on gas. I mean, aren't these guys getting paid enough anyway? I mean, I don't know. Just some of it doesn't sit right with me, and uh, I bet you feel that way too. 651 461 9226. One texter pointing out a practical issue. Who wants to run into, if you're a police officer, who wants to run into someone you arrested at the Cub? Not safe for families these days. I will say, like, the odds of running into someone you arrested in the city of Minneapolis seem very, very minimal. Fairly and, low. And I, do, I don't think it's reasonable to require a rank-and-file uh, police officer to live in the city they serve. I just don't. Um, you know, but if you're getting a car, I don't think you should live in Wisconsin. I just don't. Um, and if you're the chief, I think you should live in the city. Another texture. The car is already a perk, maybe an allowance to cover a reasonable amount of gas, 10 to $15 a day. 
think that would make sense. Another texter saying, I'd like to see a detailed outline of the city council member expenses. Okay. I mean, <laughs> the city council members live in the city. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of requirement. I mean, so at least we've got that going. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think we need to look at some of these things. And, and maybe it's more symbolic than actual money. But in a time of tight budget, should we be spending that kind of money to let, you know, let somebody drive home to Lindstrom? And the other aspect of this, as the reformer reports, is that, you know, and again, like, who knows how real this is, but some of the rank-and-file firefighters are saying, you know, these guys don't even show up on calls. So the theory of the take-home car is that you want to be able to respond respond from home to a call. According to the story, most of the fire chiefs and captains with take-home vehicles live uh, outside of St. Paul, some as far as Excelsior, some in western Wisconsin. I mean, let's let's get it together, right? So a few texters are, are critiquing us as we sit here on the beach uh, broadcasting and saying, shouldn't we be doing the show from Minneapolis all the time if we're going to yeah. be saying that these folks need to live in Minneapolis or live in St. Paul all the time? The clear and obvious... <laughs> Uh, difference that apparently they're missing is that we're not paid by the public. Right. These are tax. These are taxpayer dollars that are going to these folks. And this is maybe taxpayer un- dollars does not fund our trip. No, no absolutely not. I mean, I get. I mean, I get the comedy. Right. Well, That's yeah. fine. Um, for me, and I know maybe this is unreasonable. It sort of irks me when people work for the city. And live in Wisconsin. And I don't know why that bugs me. From a logical standpoint, there you know, what's I guess what's the difference other than it is tax dollars from Minnesota. You're working for the city. I think you should live in the state. I don't think you should well, live in Hudson. Okay, here's where I'll push back. And on I know that. it's not reasonable, but I, I'm well, just saying that does it. drive me nuts. The folks that want to call Hudson a suburb of the Twin Cities also can't say you can't live over there. No. It's either part of the community or it's not part of the community. I, I think it's silly to call For Hudson me it's a more, suburb. It's more tax. It's the tax dollar aspect of it. That when you're being paid by Minnesota citizens that, I know, I'm trying to, trying to explain why I feel that way, and there's no real logic to it. <laughs> it's just how I feel. Sometimes I have dumb opinions that uh, it's just, it irks me. <laughs> Uh, 651-461-9226. Absolutely not. They should be able to live wherever they want to. Each job has its own perks. Yeah, maybe. Even employees paid by taxpayers deserve fair compensation. If this perk attracts a good employee, then it's worth it, says a texter. Absolutely right. They deserve fair compensation. No question about it. No question about it. This perk is not attracting anyone to get promoted to the level of chief. Let's be realistic wouldn't think sometimes it takes as much time to cross the metro as it does to get to lindstrom that's i mean if we have people who live in the city of saint paul they are not burning five hundred dollars worth of gas in their company car they just don't another texture not just the cost of cat the gas it's the cost of the vehicle the maintenance the insurance it's too much for the taxpayers to bear 
Keep the text and the calls coming. 651-461-9226. We'll continue the conversation next here on Drive Time Winter Russia. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Getting lots of great texts in this conversation about residency requirements. Uh, sparked by a story in the Minnesota Reformer looking at uh, 13 fire chiefs in the St. Paul Fire Department with take-home cars. Uh, gas guzzlers, which is fine, but they're guzzling a lot of gas and you're paying for it. 500 bucks a month for one of the fire chiefs to live in Lindstrom? Doesn't feel good to me. Uh, lots of good texts. we got a call coming in, too. Let's... Uh, Go to the phones right now. Uh, Bill is on the line. Bill, thanks for calling in. What do you have to say? Yeah. So I was a uh, uh, cop in a, a big city department here for 31 years, recently retired. Um, I lived in the city, and one of the reasons I had to move out of the city was as my family got bigger, the amount I needed to pay for that size house and the amount huh, of sure. store yeah. vehicles was larger as right. opposed to what I could get in the suburbs. So that was it. And then I also had a take-home car. And what we did was, let's say my bill was 300 a month. We had to turn in where we lived to where we were going. And ended up they would pay maybe 50 bucks or 100 bucks, and I would pay the other 150 to 200 That, sort, that so seems fair. A, that seems like a fair way to deal with it, right? It was very fair to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, you I know, think... The perk you, was no wear and tear in your vehicle. Right, which is nice. So, yeah. And if I needed to get it with my position, if I needed to get there fast, I had the means to do it legally. Right. Yeah, and that's a big deal, right? Like, I understand. Uh, uh, that's that's good perspective, Bill. What what do you what what do you think about the idea for the the top brass for saying, look, we want you to live in the county or we want you to live within 20 miles. Is, is there any logic to doing that? I, I I, think it would just be too hard for the whole for the whole fire department or the whole police department. You'd never recruit enough people, you know. Yes, I, I think if there was, like I said before, the only reason I left the city is because my family was outgrowing what yeah. the, the price base I could get to keep them in a house. Yeah. Um, if there were stipends for that to to make it easier, I think you would see cops living in, in yeah. closer yeah. into the cities. That makes sense. I, I I would you know whenever this conversation comes up, I I do think there is a benefit to having these public servants living in the city. But I think the way to go about it is to give a bonus. You know, you give a you pay a premium for people for living in the city instead of. Punishing people who who end up living elsewhere. Correct. I, yeah. I would agree with you on that. So, so that's kind of where we come from. It wasn't, uh, you know, look at me. Yeah. I got this take home car. It's if it you know you... whatever that lifestyle is. You know, right. we don't. You know, yeah. if you think of it financially, I if 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 the chief got a great deal on this house in Lindstrom because he it was in his family and it financially he pays way less. 
and he's yeah. got five kids or whatever. Yeah, it's hard to you know, stop a guy from that, right? Right. It is, because we're yeah. still people. We still have <laughs> yeah. to live, too. That's true. So, Bill, good call. Thank you. Thanks for your service, too. I okay, appreciate thank it. Thank you, and uh, great show. Love you guys. Listen to you all the time. See you later. Thanks, Bill. 651-461-9226. Now, a lot of people are texting in and, and making me feel even dumber for mm. being mad about uh, Minnesota employees who live in Wisconsin because you still have to pay Minnesota state income tax. Sure you do. So it's just the property tax. Yep. All right. Okay. I'll let it go. You guys convinced me. Sometimes I'm open to being wrong. I acknowledged for the beginning that I thought I was wrong about that opinion, didn't I? I missed it. I missed it. See, do that line again. No, I'm not saying it again. No, please, please. That I was wrong? I was wrong. I'm open to being wrong. Oh, I'm open to being wrong. And you do so frequently. There you go. There's your liner, Brad. You're welcome. (laughs) One texter wants to know if we're going to start talking about everything taxpayers pay for. I, I do get it. Look, here's the thing. Firefighters, police officers, it's been a challenging week, right? And so uh, to feel like, oh, and now we're getting piled on on this, I I would just say, like, this is not about anything personal. Right. This is just looking at how the government is spending its money. And frankly, I bet that the rank and fire or rank and file firefighters in St. Paul don't love that the hotshots get unlimited gas to drive their car back to Lindstrom. So, you know, I think about it. And it's the duty of citizens to constantly be talking about how their money is being spent. That's right. That's part of it. That's right. So, again, I, I think some people <laughs> seem to think that I'm saying there should be a residency requirement. Uh, and no, I'm you not. You said literally I, the entire time. I'm not. Repeatedly I'm not. that that should not be the case. No, I, I don't think that's the right solution to this. But I do think this sort of expenditure is a problem. And having unlimited uh, gas... On these take-home cars is a major problem. 3.30. Appreciate all the feedback. Very good. Thank you guys for all the tax. We are going to break. When we come back, uh, live from Margaritaville Resort here in Fort Myers Beach, an absolutely beautiful resort with an intense Minnesota connection. We'll tell you that story and meet uh, the team behind this hotel. And you're going to be blown away by the story of the road it took to get to opening here at Margaritaville Resort. It is... Drive time with Russia live in Florida here on CCO. I promise I'm not trying to rub it in, but the sun is shining. I've been wearing shorts and a T-shirt all day here in Fort Myers Beach, and it's 72 and people here are sort of complaining about it being a little chilly. We are at Margaritaville Resort on Fort Myers Beach. And we're here with uh, two guys from Minnesota who came together to build this absolutely beautiful resort. Tom Torgerson and John Dammerman are with us. Thank you guys so much for having us here. And uh, this resort is stunning. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Uh, Tom Torgerson here. Um, John and I uh, really bought homes down here in 2014. And um, John, John tells the story really well. Um, love the area, love the beach, love the Midwestern feel to, to the area here. And um, It we, feels like a little bit of Minnesota down here, doesn't it? Really it really does, yeah. doesn't it? it? It does. You feel it's right It's the vibe it's, it, and the fact there are so many, obviously so many Minnesotans down here, too. 
It is that Midwestern culture, and, and we both uh, fell in love with it. Our wives did as well. Our, our families, to a great extent, migrated down here. And uh, we call this home now, but uh, we always have great fond memories of, of Minnesota and uh, maintain residences up there. And both John and I, are, our roots are West Central Minnesota. Uh, John, the journey to opening this resort was uh, a rocky road, to say the least. At first, uh, there were a lot of people from the community here who were uh, hesitant about, you know, some of the rustic kind of fishing village vibe down here being, you know, the the, the shacks being replaced by a big resort. And uh, then you had COVID, and then you had a hurricane. Uh, It's been one thing after the next, hasn't it? It has. It's been a very... uh challenging project to say the least um much more so than most of the projects we've we've accomplished up in minnesota we started in december of 2014 actually put the first parcel under contract and the idea was oh we'll build a you know a, a modest hotel and then one thing led to another we acquired more properties i think there were six or seven transactions and parcels that were acquired and we presented at the end of 2015 early 16 what we referred to as grand resorts and it was a it was a pretty grand project and proposal and it was not well received by the local community um a lot more rooms a lot more density and you know because it wasn't well received we we said hey let's work together what can we do and what would you like to see and so we we got together with a group of uh, some of our biggest detractors and we came up with a concept that really is what you see today. It wasn't conceived as Margaritaville, branded per se, but it was pretty much what you see here now. Tom, it is there is a little bit of a Midwestern story there and how you, uh, instead of just bulldozing your way through, you kind of talked it out and worked it out and came up with something that, uh, well, frankly, I was at lunch today talking to a local who said, you know, we hated this. We hated it. And they said, now, it's pretty nice. We're glad it's here. It looks good. It looks like it fits in. It doesn't, it's not a garish kind of, you know, monstrosity. I, I thought that was pretty remarkable. You know, we were considered outsiders coming into, you know, it is a, a small town feel here yeah. in, in this community. This is it's, an island. Off of, For Twins fans who come in, this is an island. In, it is in many ways. It, it, well, it, 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 it really is an island, literally and also figuratively. Yeah, it's it's half a mile wide and seven miles long, and uh, has uh, maybe uh, five thousand registered voters, of which only twenty five hundred, on average, vote in an election. Sure, but they're very vocal. Yeah, they're very vocal, and they're they're full time down here, and they're they're very involved, and and we really needed to gain their trust, and and that's what we did over the first couple of years, as John was alluding to. We we took on our staunchest um, opponents, and, and when they say we took them on, we just embraced them. We brought them into our homes. We brought them into meetings and, and just opened ourselves up to them and their feedback and, and worked with them collaboratively. And uh, the, the things really started to turn around at that point. In, in about 2017, I would say, John, that, that things really started to turn around. Uh, how how did you guys make it through the hurricane that hit here, uh, well, now, uh, almost two years ago? Yeah, Ian was, um, I guess, our maybe our third largest hurdle to overcome. I mean, the first one, obviously, being the opposition. We were approved unanimously by the 
council in May of 18. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, as we all know, we were hit with a worldwide pandemic um, in 2020 and literally um, we're kind of got the green light to go ahead in the middle of COVID. And we started, put a shovel in the ground August 13 of uh, 21 and 13 months later, on September 28th of 22, we were we were hit with Hurricane Ian, the largest mm. hurricane to ever hit the U.S. Um, and we were hit right on the nose. Yeah. Um, it was a it was really devastating for the island. I mean, and there were so many friends and and people who lost their not only their businesses but their homes as yeah. a part of Ian. And we were fortunate that you know the resort is built to hurricane standards, and it we. It's not that we weren't damaged. We took our took our blows, but um, we came through it okay, and we were able to get back on track. We ended up probably losing six plus months in our schedule as far as opening, but uh, fortunately, we were able to to continue and get to where we are today. That's John Dammerman, Tom Torgerson, uh, the developers, hotel operators. Uh, behind Margaritaville, and I understand you guys are working towards another site too, right? We have another property we acquired post Ian. Um, I, I can speak to one other uh, sure. challenge in the in the process. Uh, after we got that the unanimous council approval, there was a uh, <clears throat> so-called competitor. We don't believe they're competitors whatsoever, but at any rate, another resort operator contested um, the. Um, the council action, ah. the unanimous council action in approving our project, and that set us back two years. Also, that was um, three lawsuits, two two appeals um, uh, against the town for the zoning approval mm. they provided us. Of course, we we had to defend ourselves and the town um, because we were the ones that really had were at risk sure. um, in in the suits, and, and we prevailed. But that set us back two years actually before wow. the pandemic. Before the pandemic. So, that's how you, oh. you can fast forward to today, and you can kind of see how, you know, we consume 10 years of time right. of our lifetimes. Well, how's it feel to be sitting here and to see it now, though? Surreal. <laughs> yeah. Surreal is right. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's just a crazy journey. It, it is really crazy. Is. And to think that it was, um, you know, literally nine-plus years yeah. uh, from the time we acquired the first parcel until we were able to open the doors uh, – it was a lot of perseverance, um, you know, and a lot of, I will call it, Minnesota goodwill. Um, we hung in there. We've been friends a long time, partners a long time, and um, we've been through a lot, but this was a, this was a big one. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're thrilled to be here today and, and to be able to, you know, look around and see people enjoying the island and, and know that it's, it's a, really a catalyst for the revitalization of Fort Myers Beach. Fort Myers Beach and a lot of Minnesotans ask me about it because, you know, they come down here for twin spring training. They come down here just uh, to enjoy the beach and enjoy the lifestyle. Uh, the, the reality is, uh, you know, I was here l- one year ago, and a lot of it looks sort of the same. So there is some progress, but it's slow, right? I mean, to get material, to get insurance, to get... All of these things, it's it's a slow recovery. You know, and the this is like sort of like wow. All right, this is a vision of what what could be around. I will the rest say of the island. island though, Jason, is pristine. It is cleaned up. The beach is beautiful. The beach looks great, and and the vibe yes. is back. The vibe is back. Whether it's uh, food and, and beverage trailers or uh, food and beverage operations that have reopened, small resorts that have reopened. 
Um, the, the island is pristine. It is clean. It is beautiful. And the travelers are back. This is the first season. You know, you've seen the traffic. The beach you know, is jammed with people. Like, it's pretty jammed. cool to Absolutely see. Absolutely jammed. Yeah. And it's only 72. So <laughs> That's right. <You're laughs> That's right. It's definitely jammed. But it there is there weren't bikinis see. and swim trunks out there. I didn't notice any of that. I don't know what you're talking about. I keep my eyes at eye level. You know, I don't, I don't need trouble. It is going to take time, you know, for us to, to, it's just the reality, to rebuild. Yeah. It is the reality. But, you know, like I said, this this can be a catalyst for that rebuilding, and we're we're so supportive of all of our, you know, other business owners and, and residents, and we, we want only the best for the island. Your company has a lot of uh, hotels in the Twin Cities, too, 23 in the Twin Cities. We were just talking about my hometown of Maple Grove, where you guys have, I think, all the hotels. They're just, it's just beautiful. Uh, is travel kind of picking up for you guys? Are the hotels doing better? You know, Minnesota is a slower market to recover post-pandemic. Um, there's no no bones about it yeah. um, in in terms of hospitality and travel. Um, you know, you, you you know better than any of us that you know some of the bad um, yeah. public relations raps that uh, Minneapolis has gotten, and uh, so that's really hurt the hospitality industry. So we still have. I, I think we're really at the bottom of the recovery from a hospitality standpoint in in the nation. But uh, we're coming. We're, you know, it's coming, yeah, and, and yeah. we're showing bigger gains now in the metro area than the rest of the country because we, we earned those bigger gains because, yeah. you know, in the early recovery, we just didn't have them. We didn't, see, we didn't see those gains. So we are starting to see them now, so we're hopeful that, you know, give it another couple of years that, that maybe we can recover and, and uh, get back to where we were pre, pre-pandemic. Well, we're so grateful for uh, you guys coming and sharing your story with us and certainly – uh, this resort is a knockout, so Minnesotans have to come down here and check it out. You know, this is, uh, we like to call it a, a an entertainment complex that also has happened to have some really beautiful lodging accommodations. You know, this is not your typical, this, well, this is the first of its kind in southwest Florida um, for this type of resort. This is really about entertainment. It's about action. It's, 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 it's just about having a great time and uh it's very open to the public, so you interact with, with other people from, from southwest Florida here. It's a very social, so you've seen yeah. it, Jason. Everybody's, like, hanging out around fire pits or around the bar, and you got a gorgeous pool with a DJ, and there's just lots of activity the whole time. The, the, just the beach club itself, you speak yeah. of the pool, the lagoon pool, you know, that's a 1,000-person capacity, and only two-thirds of those people are resort guests. Yeah. Just using you that for example. You can buy a day pass and yeah. come on in. Yeah. And this, this terrace where we're broadcasting from, it's a one-acre elevated terrace at 16 feet above flood, and it, it's a, yeah. a one-of-a-kind um, venue, so it's awesome. John Dammerman, Tom Torgerson, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. 350, back in a minute on CCO. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.